If you're in a very dark forest and you find a path, you follow the path because it's going to lead you out, right? That's what he wants. He wants God's path to show him. Shew me thy ways, O Lord, teach me thy paths. This is season 11 of Guerrilla Christianity. My name is Pastor Brett Walker, and I'd like to thank you for listening to Guerrilla Christianity, an unconventional, no apologies exposition of God's grace from an Orthodox Wesleyan point of view. God's holy word is essential to our teaching, so let's get into God's word right now. I would also invite you to turn back in your Bibles uh, to the book of Psalms, and Psalm 25 is where we're going to be today. If you're following along in the Pew Bible, it's on page 532 of the Old Testament. Psalm 25 and verses 1 through 10. Throughout the season of Lent, we're looking at the Psalms, which are songs of praise. They're prayers to God set to music. Now, Hebrew poetry contains a glimpse into the heart of the psalmist. And today, what we're seeing is David's appeal to God for guidance in time of intense persecution and peril. Now, we already read this responsively. Let's hear it now from uh, the King James uh, Psalm 25, a psalm of David. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. Shew me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindness, for they have been ever of old. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to thy mercy, remember thou me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore will he teach sinners in the way. The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. <clears throat> Lord, guide us in your paths of righteousness and teach us from your holy word. These words that are before us are set to paper that they may instruct us and your Holy Spirit opens our eyes and ears that we may receive them. Fill us with your Holy Spirit now, we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. We all have days, times of great struggle, times of very great suffering. And we don't always know why those things happen to us. We don't know why those things come about, but they happen to all of us. In the past few years, there's arisen a movement in the um, Christian church whereby preachers promise all kinds of things like prosperity. And, and, and if, you're, if you're suffering, it's because you don't believe enough. It's, if, you're, if, you're, 
you know, as long as you believe in God, God's always going to prosper your ways and he's always going to take care of you and you're never going to suffer. And look at me, I, I'm not suffering. It's usually told by someone who is up there wearing a very nice Armani suit, going home in a limousine to his 13-room mansion, you know. The reality of it is life happens and we have times of difficulty. You ever have one of those days where it just seems like nothing is going right? When, when your shoelace breaks and you, you, you pour a bowl of cereal and, and two drops of milk come out, you know, the carton. And, and, and the next thing you know, you're, you look at your watch and you're like, I'm not late to work. Oh, my watch stopped. Yeah, I'm an hour late to work now. And you get there and your boss is riding you and you're, I don't want to be here anyway. And I would have taken off if I had a sick day, you know, I mean... Days like that. We've all had days like that. Sometimes moments, just a, a brief moment or a minute that just seems to go on forever or hours or days or sometimes weeks and sometimes months and years. You feel like, like Ziggy, you know, Ziggy, the cartoon character, right? Am I dating myself by saying Ziggy, right? Like nothing ever went right for this guy, right? Like Charlie Brown. Everybody knows Charlie Brown, right? You know? Life keeps pulling that football out of the way and you go flat on your back. For some people, this goes on and on and on and you go, what? when is this going to end, you know? But no matter what is troubling us, no matter the situation, no matter the difficulty, God is greater than our trouble and he can deliver us if we put our faith and trust in him alone. I'm not talking about prosperity. I'm just talking about knowing that we don't walk alone. You know, David wrote in, in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, these comfort me. So just knowing that God is near is a comfort. Now, this psalm that we're reading today, Psalm 25, it's attributed to David. If you, if, I read where it says a psalm of David, okay, right before the verse number. Now, the verses, the verse numbers, and the chapter divisions aren't in the original text, okay? Those verses were added later for our benefit makes it easier to look things up, you know. Um, if you go into town and nobody has an address, you could drive around all day looking for the person that you're looking for. And instead, we have addresses for everything. And so we go, Book of Psalms, chapter 25, verse 1. Now I know exactly where I'm looking, right? But again, those verses were added later. They weren't part of the original text. But that superscription there, a psalm of David, that is in the original Hebrew text. The, the one who compiled all of these prayers, there's 150 of them in the book of Psalms, wanted us to know that this is a psalm that was written by David. Now, we don't know 
the situation he was under. We know that he was under intense persecution. He was crying out to God for help. Now, there's a couple of features about this particular uh, psalm that make it very interesting as far as Hebrew poetry goes. Uh, first of all, it's what's called an acrostic poem. Okay, An acrostic poem is one that starts, each line starts with the subsequent letter in the alphabet. And lucky you, I, I looked this whole thing up in Hebrew, and I looked at every single line does indeed begin with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And I'm not going to bore you with that. Just understand that that's how it goes. It's kind of like if I was to write a poem and say, I'm just making this up. Apples are delicious because they are red. Come to my house. Don't you know I have some apples? Okay, you see how that works? Now, the reason that Hebrew poets would write like that was to make things easier to remember. The greatest poem in this book, I think, is Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is fantastic because it's an epic poem. It's 176 verses. And it's broken down into eight verses, uh, eight verse groups, and there's 22 of them. Now, anytime you see a psalm in the book of Psalms that has exactly 22 verses, you know that that's an acrostic poem because there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Every single eight verse uh, section of Psalm 119 begins with the next letter of the alphabet in Hebrew. So the first eight verses, every one of them starts with the letter Aleph, which is the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And then the next eight begin with the letter Bet. And then the next eight belong or start with the letter Gimel. And then Daleth, and so on, and so on, and so on. And so this poem here is an acrostic poem. There's 22 verses. We only read 10 of them. But each line begins with the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And again, that is a, a mnemonic device that the Hebrews would use to remember a poem. Why would you want to remember this poem? Why would you want to remember this song? David wanted to remember it because it is a fantastic prayer to God in a time of intense distress and persecution. And so he wanted to remember it probably. We all know this prayer. We've, we've prayed it millions of times in our lifetime. I'm exaggerating. Okay, thousands. Let's say that, thousands. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. What a great prayer that is. And in a time of intense distress, I bet you that that is the first thing that pops into your mind is that prayer and you pray it. Because I've done it, you know. You need God in that moment and the only thing that you can think of to pray is that prayer. 
And that's good. David wanted to remember this because he wanted to remember what to pray, how to pray in a time of intense persecution and distress. And so he wrote it in acrostic fashion so that we also can remember it. Now, it doesn't come across in the Hebrew like it does. I mean, it doesn't come across in the English the same as it does in, in the Hebrew. I would love it if one day someone with a great deal of poetic talent and literary prowess could rewrite these psalms, especially the acrostic psalms, so that they have that acrostic function. That would be neat. That hasn't happened, and, and maybe you would be taking way too many liberties if you tried. But that would be very cool. Um, until then, just understand that each of these lines begins with the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Also understand that the, the whole structure of the poem is chiastic. Now, what do I mean by chiastic? A chiasm is a structure whereby it goes A, then B, and not B, and not A. Okay, does that make sense? A, it's, it's comparing and contrasting two different things. So it starts with A, then goes to B, and then not B, and then not A. Okay, let me give you an example. Verse 3. Verse 3 is a chiasm in itself. Let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. You see that? Don't let the people who are faithful to you be ashamed. But make them ashamed who are not faithful to you. That's what it's saying, okay? Let none that wait on thee, that's the A, be ashamed. Don't let them be ashamed. Instead, let them be ashamed, that's the not B, which transgress without cause. That's the not A, okay? This whole poem, this whole um, all 22 verses is set up as a, as a chiasm because it begins and ends with David's pleas for deliverance from his enemies. Now, again, we're not given the exact context of when this poem was written or the circumstances, what they were, but we can consider many events from David's life when enemies pursued him, when Saul the king was trying to kill him, despite the fact that he was never unfaithful to Saul, when, um, when the Philistines were pursuing him, when his own son Absalom was trying to kill him, could be any one of those times. could be another time that we don't know about. But we do know that David was feeling all alone and needing the strength of God to get through whatever he was going through. And so verse 1, he says, Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. The first thing we see here in the first three verses is a plea for deliverance and the reliance upon God. A plea for deliverance. He wants to be delivered from this trouble and he's relying completely on God. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. To lift up one's soul to God is to radically trust in him. And that's echoed in the next verse. But in Psalm 24, in verses 4 and 5, it says, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to that which is false, 
and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. So the first thing he's doing is saying, I'm lifting my soul up to you, O Lord. O my God, verse 2, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. So faith is what's in view here. I trust in thee. David trusts in God to deliver him and appeals to God that his enemies will not be victorious. I'm sure that David had many enemies who would have been dancing a jig over his dead body. And he doesn't want that because he wants, ultimately what he wants is he wants God to be victorious. He wants God to be glorious. And so that's really what he's appealing to here. I trust in you, God. Don't let me be ashamed. Don't let my enemies triumph over me. Verse 3. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. And we talked about this in this chiastic structure. Let none that wait upon thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. A more modern uh, translation calls, says those who are wantonly treacherous. I love that. You know, the NRSV, the ESV both render the, that uh, phrase, wantonly treacherous. What does it mean? It means to sin without cause or care. It means to have absolutely no consideration for God, our Creator, and His law. And we just, we're going to live our life. Let me tell you, atheists, and I was one, I'm speaking in the first person here, but atheists, in reality, it's not so much that they don't believe in God. The reality is they don't want to believe in God. Because the idea of a God of judgment is frightening to someone who wants to live in rebellion. Okay? It's very comforting as an atheist to believe that when you close your eyes and take that dirt nap, that's the end. There's nothing after that. No judgment, no God, no nothing. Nothing to account for anything that you did in your life. But that's not how it is. There is a judgment. There is justice. And so he says, let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. Those who are wantonly, I love this, wantonly treacherous. And he's holding up historical facts to support his, his appeal. He says, those who wait on you don't suffer. They're not ashamed. So he begins this poem with a plea for deliverance and reliance upon God. Then he goes on to a plea to receive instruction or guidance from God. Because when we are in times of trouble, we want someone to lead us out. If you're in a very dark forest and you find a path, you follow the path because it's going to lead you out, right? That's what he wants. He wants God's path to show him, shew me thy ways, O Lord, teach me thy paths. And the words ways and paths are words that are used to describe the life of faith and dependence upon God. A walk. We, 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 we consider our lives with God to be a walk, a path that we follow, a way that, in fact, the people who first 
uh, followed Jesus, called his teaching the way. Because Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. So we're going to follow him. We want to follow his path. Shew me thy ways, O Lord, teach me thy paths, lead me in thy truth, and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. So David's appeal for God's leading is dependent upon his faith in God. Now, there's a repeating of that word, wait. Wait. Lead me in, my, in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Notice in verse 3, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Waiting on God is putting our trust in him. And so one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, Isaiah 40 and verse 31, those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like, on wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. And so... That's what he's talking about, waiting on the Lord, waiting on God. It doesn't mean like waiting. I'm waiting for you to act, but waiting on him as in I'm depending on you. I'm trusting in you. So we see a plea for deliverance and reliance upon God. We see a plea to receive instruction or guidance from God. And then in verses six and seven, a plea to God for forgiveness. Okay. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindness, for they have been ever of old. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions according to thy mercy. Remember thou me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. Now, here we have another chiastic structure. Remember, remember not, and remember. That's what he says. He says, remember thy tender mercies and thy loving kindness. That word loving kindness, by the way, that is such an awesome word in, in the Hebrew. It's chesed. You need a little phlegm. You got it. Chesed. Okay, that's God's loving kindness. Other modern interpretations call it his steadfast love. But the reason it's such an awesome word is because that is who God is. He is chesed. He is Steadfast love, he is loving kindness. He says, remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies. He's not telling God to remember. He's reminding himself. God can't forget. God's, God doesn't wake up one day and go, oh yeah, I'm merciful and tenderhearted. I forgot about that. No, God knows and is all of his attributes all at once, always, and never in contradiction to himself. So David saying, remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies. He's saying, I remember your tender mercies and your loving kindness, your chesed, for they have been ever of old. And then he says, remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to thy mercy, remember thou me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. He's asking for forgiveness. He's acknowledging and depending on God's mercy and steadfast love. Now, God cannot forget sins, okay? God cannot and will not forget sins, but he can willingly, now this is going to be confusing, but 
He can willingly not remember them or call them to mind. Uh, on Ash Wednesday, I was talking about how people in a relationship sometimes, because we're sinful, uh, you bring up something that somebody did in a moment of anger, you know, somebody does something dumb, and then you're like, yeah, remember 10 years ago you did the same thing, you dummy. And you're like, mm, you're still remembering that? You know, but God, God doesn't do that. God doesn't say to us, hey, remember when you did that? Remember, you know who does? The devil, Satan. Satan says, hey, you're not, you can't follow God. You can't love God. Look at what you did. Remember you did that 10 years ago and you're still doing the same thing. But God doesn't do that. He will not. It's an act of his will. He will not remember your sins. That's what forgiveness is. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25, he says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34, And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. It's an act of God's will that he will not remember your sins. He'll never call them to mind. He will never remind you of the things that you have done because you've already repented. You've already been forgiven. They don't even exist anymore. It's the evil one who tries to drive us away from God who will remind us of the things that we've done in the past. Remember that. If you ever have one of those fleeting thoughts where you're like, oh, how could I do that? When I was five years old, I stole Sally's crayons and spit in her paste. What a horrible person I am. I can't follow God. That's, that's Satan saying that to you. That's not God bringing that to your remembrance. All right. Another appeal to God's steadfast love and goodness. Remember thou me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. Okay, verses 8 through 10. Now, so we've seen a plea for deliverance and reliance upon God. We've seen a plea to receive instruction or guidance from God. We've seen a plea to God for forgiveness. Now, David shifts his address from the second person saying, Oh, Lord, do this for me. Now he, he's talking to us. He shifts from the second person to the third person. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. He says, verse 8, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore will he teach sinners in the way. The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. And he's reminding us of God's goodness, of God's faithfulness, of God's loving kindness, his chesed. So David turns his attention from God to instruct those who are listening to, singing, reading this prayer, God instructs sinners in the way that leads to righteousness because he is good. Psalm 100 and verse 5, for the Lord is good. 
His steadfast love, there it is, chesed, his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. It's because of God's goodness that he forgives us. It's because of his goodness that he teaches us, that he converts us, that he brings us into his family and adopts us as children. Verse 9. The meek will he guide in judgment. He's talking about humility. The meek will he teach his way. The key to the instruction is the humility of the petitioner. We don't go to God and demand that he act. God, do this now. No. We, first of all, we go, God, <laughs> I don't deserve this. Number one, I know I don't deserve it, but I know you're good. And I know that you have said you have loving kindness you have steadfast love you have mercy i'm relying on those things and so it's not because of anything that we do but because of his goodness that he forgives us six times in these 10 verses david mentions god's leading in his ways and his paths his ways and his paths all the paths of the lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. He talks about, lead me in your path. Teach me your ways. Show me your ways. Teach me your paths. Lead me in thy truth. And three times in, this, in these 10 verses, he mentions God's steadfast love. His chesed. <laughs> the dependence David shows upon God is not baseless. He points to the historic relationship God has with his people how God delivers those who trust in him, how God lifts up the humble and brings down the haughty and unrighteous. Notice that nowhere in this psalm does David ever claim to be righteous and blameless. On the contrary, he appeals to God's goodness for deliverance despite his many sins and appeals to God's mercy and loving kindness and forgiveness desiring a closer walk with God. In the end, David knows that it is ultimately better to walk in God's ways than in the ways of the world. And to be closer to God, he calls on God for guidance and deliverance. So what troubles you this day? From what do you need deliverance? How can you call upon the Lord? Listen to the words of David. Trust in God. Rely on him. Rely on his goodness. Wait upon the Lord. Rely on his goodness and his mercy and his loving kindness. Go to him in times of trouble and pray that you might be delivered from your enemies, whether literal or figurative. God is abundantly good, forgiving and merciful. He will restore the brokenhearted and deliver the faithful. Pray to God for his guidance and he will set you in his paths and show you the way. Let us pray. Oh Lord, there is no lack of trouble in this world, and we know what it means to be troubled in our souls. To you we appeal for deliverance, for your, for your goodness and your steadfast love are abundantly plain to those who know you. We call out to you for guidance in knowing your ways, that we would walk in your paths of righteousness for your glory and honor. Teach us your ways, O Lord, and renew our spirits that we would honor you with our lives and bring others to know your steadfast love all to your glory. 
In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. I hope that this teaching has blessed you as much as it has blessed me putting this message together. God has also blessed me by calling me to serve two churches in Salem County, New Jersey, Ebenezer United Methodist Church in Auburn and Hudson United Methodist Church in Pedricktown. If you live in the area and don't have a church to call your own, I'd like to invite you to join us on Sunday mornings for Bible-based and God-honoring worship. Ebenezer meets for worship at 9 a.m. and Hudson meets for worship at 10.30. We also have Sunday school available and Bible study during the week. Now this podcast is self-funded and we never ask for donations. It reaches people all around the world, but it could reach more people if you do a couple of things and it won't cost you a penny. First, subscribe to the podcast and our YouTube channel. Leave a comment and also like the podcast. That puts the podcast in front of more people so that the gospel may reach them as well. Keep learning, keep growing, and I pray you will listen to Guerrilla Christianity again. Until next time, remember this, Christ died for you. Now go live for Christ.